Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This episode is brought to you by the Oz 9 Podcast. Described by a fan as Gilligan's Island meets The Office in space, well, that's really the perfect summary. Oz 9 is recommended for fans of British comedy like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Red Dwarf, and Blackadder. All incredible books and shows, so if you're into those, I think you've got to check out Oz 9. Oz 9 is inclusive and irreverent. They're having fun, and you know what? We think you will too. You can find and listen to Oz9 anywhere you listen to podcasts and find additional materials on their website, oz-the-number-9.com. That's oz-9.com. Hello, this is Jeffrey. And this is Eleanor. Have you visited our website recently? It's unwellpodcast.com. I wanted to remind you that that is the hub that we use to collect all things unwell in one place. We have transcripts to every episode in case you want to read along or double-check something you heard. There's info about our cast and crew. You can also find information about how to support us on Patreon. And, if you want, you can check out our awesome merch store. You can also find links to our advertisers. As an independently produced show, we really rely on our listeners, like you, to help us succeed. So whether that's supporting us on Patreon, simply telling a friend about the show, your support really makes this all possible. So check out our website, see all the things we've got to offer there. One more time, that's unwellpodcast.com. Hi listeners, as you'll hear in the upcoming introduction, this episode is built from content recorded in fall of 2022, but given what is happening nationally and in the Pitt community while we're posting this episode about inclusive world building and normalizing queerness, we wanted to acknowledge the ongoing struggle against deeply hateful, ignorant, and dangerous anti-trans rhetoric and bills being passed. Even just on our team's campus between March and April 2023, student organizations at Pitt are hosting three transphobic speakers, including one who has been quoted calling for the eradication of trans people. This is a reflection of rhetoric happening at the national level, and it is something we cannot take lightly or look away from. As we make clear in our team's value statement, language has power. Being inclusive designers means first recognizing exclusion through intersections of systems of power and larger contexts, and then working to center these communities, often marginalized by design. This includes our queer community. Inclusive design recognizes that we are stronger because of our differences, and that diversity of identity is not something to flatten out or eradicate. To the queer community at Pitt, you are valid and you are wanted here. We deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. In times like these, it is important to have moments of and spaces for queer joy as a form of resistance, and we hope this conversation can be one of those joyful, restorative moments. Outside of the following conversation, we will be providing resources compiled by Pitt in our resource library's recommended readings, which are linked in the episode's description. Hi, I'm Lynn Priestley, and you're listening to Welcomed by Design, the show where we talk about the wide range of ways we can imagine and design more inclusive and accessible futures. Today, we're coming to you with a very exciting and spooky two-part special. 
Fall of 2022, Welcomed by Design was invited to participate in a series of panels for Queer Horror Week, organized by University of Pittsburgh's Horror Studies Working Group. The themes included accessibility and intersectionality and identity through the lens of horror podcasts. So it felt like the perfect blend of topics to create an episode from event recordings. But it didn't just stop at panels. Members from the wonderful and talented cast and crew of the BBC award-winning audio drama Unwell joined us for a quote-unquote brief 15-minute post-panel interview that ended up running closer to an hour. Unwell is a fictional Midwestern gothic mystery podcast about conspiracies, ghosts, and unusual families of blood and choice. There's also some iconic content about a business card to prevent early morning interactions and celery? Their inclusive practices are woven into both their real-life production and fictional content, so there was just too much good footage from that week to trim to a clean hour. So we made the call to create a two-part special instead of our traditional episode and supplement pairing. Part one focuses on the real-life inclusive podcast production practices, and part two will focus on Unwell's inclusive world building. To help weave together Unwell's insight from all these panels and the interview, members of the Welcomed by Design team are joining me in studio to look back on the events, offer some meta-commentary about our own podcasting practices, and do a couple supplemental fact-check and term-checks as needed. I'm Lynn, I use they-she pronouns, and I'm the host and one of the producers on the team. And today I'm joined by... Hey, I'm Teddy Thavari, and I'm the transcriber with Welcome by Design. And hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Fitzpatrick. I tend to use she, her pronouns, and I'm the executive producer of Welcome by Design. All right, and now we will let Unwell introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ellie Maitland, uh, she, hers, and I am a voice actor on Unwell. I play the waitress. Hi, my name is Jess Wright Buha. I use she, her pronouns, and I am one of the writers on Unwell. I'm Mark Soloff. I am a voice actor. I play Silas Lodge, and my pronouns are he, his. My name is Jeffrey Nils Gardner. I am an executive producer and director for the podcast, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Amelia Bethel, she, her, and I voice Marisol. I'm Jessica Best, she, her, and I'm another one of the writers on Well. This first kind of segment of part one, we talk about accessible sound design, um, and then it goes a little bit into transcripts. But um, we have an audio hook with our podcast that we start out talking a little bit about, but it's based on our trailer and the idea of front door access and our logo being that of an open door. So to kind of start every episode, we do this little soundscape with a door opening. As the Welcome by Design, like audio designer and editor team started um, work on the podcast, one of the things that of course is a core value was keeping it accessible, but it's also a really different way of prioritizing the design decisions. And so I think that took a minute, um, but the sometimes creative constraints create the most exciting outcomes. And so having this really be a moment where the layering can happen, uh, it's exciting to see what they're able to come up with. Yeah, absolutely. That is kind of the context for our first clip. One of the questions we ask in our pre-interview form is like, can you um, give us some sounds of like uh, a space that feels welcoming or like a workplace because we do these interviews remotely. So there's no real sense of place um, so we tried to ground it with sound design, um, which is a really interesting way to like learn things you didn't expect you'd learn about the guests. Um, we learned like our episode two guests were really into classic rock, which was fun. Um, but getting moments to kind of give place. Um, I was originally like super nervous to play with sound layering because um, like if people are hard of hearing, very 
cognitive disabilities, sensory processing disorders can make layering really hard to process if you have like speaking over top. Um, but there are accessibility guidelines that our sound designers have looked into. Um, so for anyone who is interested in making their podcast accessible while playing with sound layering, it's making sure that the speaking is 20 decibels above whatever the sound design is. That's kind of the web content accessibility guideline. Um, Unless you're playing with that for design reasons. Right. <laughs> yes. If it's meant to be understood, that's the guideline. But like in... Uh, we don't have moments where you're not supposed to understand from the show, <laughs> but if there's like a traumatic moment where confusion is the uh, end game, then go go wild. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. We, um, in terms of, of accessibility in that way, a, a thing that we also think a lot about is, is the stereo field. Um, uh, the kind of baseline audio files that a podcast is going to be delivered in is, is a stereo file. There'll be a left channel and a right channel. And um, in audio fiction, you can do an enormous amount in terms of spatializing the, the room um, based on how people move through that field. But, you know, um, if, if you have someone who is mixed all the way into your left channel, um, and you have someone who is hard of hearing in their left ear, or notably, if you have, you know, a character that's mixed all the way into the right channel and someone is driving their car, they're going to lose most of that. And so, um, you know, being, I, 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 I'm, you know, I think being really cognizant of how you are doing that and like setting people up for like, Hey, you know, I, I need to be putting people over on the right for this. So I do not recommend, I recommend you listen to this with headphones and not driving because don't drive with headphones. Um, <laughs> safety tips. Uh, I think, um, uh, you know, one of our big tools for that is publishing transcripts, um, which, uh, which also we find the audience loves both because they can read along and like get nuances and also our writers slip amazing little things in um some of which we have to redact uh <laughs> what was uh, Bilal's um you know like uh you know here they they sing a uh, a song that is somewhere between a collegiate anthem and a dirge um I haven't written the tune but go get a composer because we have budget for that now. Uh, <laughs> and that made it into the final transcript. It wasn't technically, you know, uh, an audio description, but it was too good to, to take out. The annotated scripts are, are the, um, the scripts that we used to record um, with annotations from cast, crew, director, writer, etc. And they are often like significantly inaccurate, you know, places where we changed a line, deleted a line, um, uh, removed things. We rather, you know, there are spoilers throughout the scripts and we redact them with black bars. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's interesting to considering um, how different the transcripts we release end up being, they end up being both edited for accuracy in terms of the lines, but uh, kind of like you're saying, there, um, there's a whole second pass that goes in of like trying to evoke what the actors have said, what the sound effects bring to the moment, um, so that if someone is not able to hear, you know, the, the whoosh of wind coming in from the right uh, in a particular scene, uh, you're able to get that experience, you know, a, a, a dire wind slides in um, to, um, to kind of evoke how it actually happens. Um, and I think, I think we uh, end up being sometimes successful and sometimes less successful, often depending on how much time, basically like you said, it's, it's a difficult process and um, it's a lot of work, it's worth doing, but it's, uh, especially for yeah, small teams, it can be a large lift. I think it's also worth explicitly saying, um, I, and I, I don't want to speak for any of the other panelists here, but um, 
I want to note that all of us have emphasized the, the difficulty or labor that goes into transcribing. And I want to explicitly say that that's, that's a message being sent to other creators. Um, I don't want to give the impression that um, transcripts are too much or an unreasonable expectation. I think I, what I want to communicate to other people making podcasts is that like, this is an important thing and you should set aside time and money to do it. Not that, oh, this is such a difficult, unreasonable thing. Um, and I know that that's a subtle distinction, but I think it is important to emphasize uh, because they can really, really um, useful and important aids and, um, uh, and, and can be a, a method of deepening someone's engagement um, in a piece, whether or not they quote unquote need it. So I think it's, it's always a good thing to have. A, a final thing about transcripts and, and if anyone else up here wants to talk about transcripts, I, I, I'm the person on the team who usually handles putting those out for well, so I've kind of been dominating this part of the conversation. Anyway, uh, long preamble aside, um, I think a thing that uh, can be really useful for um, creators in making transcripts, especially if um, you are either going back to old work and transcribing it, or um, kind of re-engaging with something that you've been working on for a long while, um, it's a really good way to get fresh ears on a piece because when you are doing the work of like, you know, thinking about, okay, I've got to like type this all up and, and correct the mistakes, et cetera. Um, I find that I'm able to, for the first time off in a while, listen to it as a listener rather than as the creator. Um, and I'm like, oh, I hate that a lot less than I thought I did. Wow. Okay. You know? Um, it allows you, it allows me at least to turn off that like inner critic sometimes. Yeah. So one bit that I really loved from the discussion of transcripts and annotated scripts was when Jeffrey kind of highlighted that a lot of the discussion that was happening was like how much work transcripts were and clarifying that that shouldn't, uh, the takeaway shouldn't be that like transcripts are a burden and to emphasize the message that they are worth doing. And I just like, it felt very on message for Welcome by Design, uh, like saying that you shouldn't treat accessibility measures as add-ons. No, um, it's important labor, but we should also acknowledge it is labor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, they talked a little bit about transcripts and annotated scripts. So I was wondering if, um, Teddy, do you want to talk a little bit about how we do transcribing um, and kind of from the accessibility standpoint? Yeah, so I started doing transcripts around episode four. And when I first started getting into what transcribing really was, I found just how many layers this process had. The first and probably most complex layer is getting the transcript accurate. And this can go beyond making sure the core of what's being said is on the page. It's all these different intonations because people have so much character to what they're saying. And part of the accuracy of a transcript is reviving the humor, passion, stress, or whatever else someone imbues into their words, because it's just not understood the same way without all of that. Another important part of the transcript is having like structural elements, like headers and outlines, as well as marking the timestamps for folks who are looking for specific questions or moments in the podcast. We make the formatting of the document as easy to peruse as possible, just trying to give people flexibility with that. And last of all, um, when they said transcribing takes time, they really meant it. I get a lot of time to interact with content myself, which is a gift, and I feel like my contribution of time is definitely well worth it. And I do definitely agree that like having tone and pauses in there is, I think, also like ethically something we owe to guests in terms of making sure that what they're saying can be understood by um, all of our audience in terms of like, if you say something sarcastically, it's like deeply important that it is marked as sarcasm to avoid someone thinking that like a guest truly meant what they were saying. I would also add another really important aspect of transcribing that I felt was particularly tricky back when Chloe and I were doing the episode and supplement transcripts was balancing like 
being true to conversation with stutters and backtracking involved in live thinking, and also providing cognitive accessibility by cutting out some of that backtracking and backtracing moments to kind of make the speaker's thinking more legible on first pass, first read through. And I'm not sure I always got that balance right, but I think that's part of the nature of access work in general. It's like trying our best to consider a wide range of audience members' needs, trying to meet them best we can and balance, um, and then adjust if folks give us feedback. And that takes a lot of time, which is why I was so excited this semester that we could have Teddy join and be in a dedicated transcribing only role and have the time to focus purely on this form of access. Because, you know, it's part of our show that we really want to show we value with human labor and not just automated transcripts, um, because automated transcripts can really only provide a starting point, And there are also ethical considerations with it, um, which I know that's something you have thoughts on, Dr. Fitz. It's not as easy as just saying, oh, I have audio. Let me plug and play it right into. And I know everyone's talking about AI nowadays um, in a variety of ways, but plug it into an algorithm or an automatically detectable right, voice recognition system. And then I'll just go back in and clean it up. Um, you have to make sure that people are okay with you putting their words, let alone their voices, right, through different applications, through different platforms, um, and each one, that fine print that we love not to read, right? Um, what are people going to do with that data is really important to consider. And if it's your podcast, right, Lynn? Right, Teddy? If it's your podcast, you're on the hook for that. And you're on the hook for making sure that the people who trust you with, let's say, interviews, um, are aware and that you're protecting them and, you know, doing the best you can by them. So I think, I think that I, I like to think we do that very well. Um, and I don't know if either one of you want to talk a little bit about how we do that specifically. Yeah. Uh, so in our interview form, we discuss the fact that our platform for recording will automate a transcript and we ask if we are allowed to use it. We say, we mentioned the fact that like it will, uh, kind of happen with the platform so they know that there is an auto transcript but we also offered not to engage with it um we do like make very clear that like this is a matter of accessibility so this this really helps us um because having an auto transcript to start is super helpful in lowering the amount of time there's still a lot of work to correct it but mm -hmm. starting from an auto transcript and starting from raw audio is a very different um experience um, so we make it clear what's going to happen if they record by Riverside. We say if they're not okay with that, um, then we can figure out another format like phone interview. And we also ask if they're doing a phone interview not for that reason, um, are they okay with us putting it through something like Otter AI? So we're very clear about getting permission um, and guests who come on know exactly what's going to happen with their audio data. Yeah. And of course, this, that starting place, uh, and Teddy, if you want to, if you, if you have thoughts about this as our transcriber, who gets to contend with these issues, but the automatic um, transcription services are also trained like all algorithms are, right, on certain data sets. And that means that there are built in biases and things that are going to be less likely detected correctly, right? So if you have an accent, if maybe English is not your first language, but you're working in English, um, as this podcast does, if like me, you've had speech therapy in the past, right? Um, if you have dialect questions that may be considered, and this is said in scare quotes, right? Non-standard. Um, all of that will affect the way that you are read uh, and making sure that the person's actual <laughs> points are captured, um, let alone, you know, some of their, their personality and tone, right? Um, is really, really important. And this is why Teddy is so crucial because <laughs> you fix what the computer gets wrong. <laughs> and it really does get it wrong a lot. <laughs> yeah. It helps, but like auto transcripts are not, um, like you can't just post auto transcripts or auto subtitling captions. Um, yeah. Unless no. you want the audience to decode the the entire podcast, it would be a bad idea. Right. And that code would not be standard. Like, 
there, there would be no logic. So beyond kind of the more technical consideration of sound notes, balancing cognitive and true to conversation access, and also the ethics of using an auto transcript in the first place, we had some fun in the events discussing when accessibility tools like transcripts and image descriptions get a little playful. It's interesting thing about transcripts is just pieces of art, like as kind of parallel art pieces. So, and, and, and I'm interested in, and that's not um, just time, resources, et cetera. That's not how things function at this millisecond. The writers are not involved in like throwing some poetry, perhaps for better or for worse, because again, there, there's not wanting to kind of muddle the point of the transcript, which is to get things across as, as um, elegantly and kind of concisely as possible, but it could be pretty amazing to have a world where with time and resources, um, I don't know, some sort of writer could kind of sprinkle a little bit of art in the transit to really get those moments um, and to really try to kind of convey them um, again with compassionately and without getting too high in our own supply as poets. Um, and um, yeah, I think I think that there's a real there's some really um, amazing possibilities there. I do I do love the idea of, um, and not to not to really you know put our process at risk, but like giving the writer after the episode is finished one more chance on the script. I think that's really yeah. This is this is what I was worried about. <laughs> um, I think there's something really interesting about that. I think there's a very interesting creative space um, in audio dramas and subtitling. Um, I'm thinking about like the Stranger Things uh, captioning team had an interview um, and they like buried D&D Easter eggs in the subtitles, um, which like I, I love when community forms around accessibility because there were like memes um, and it like made people aware of like a new round of accessibility. So like when that, part of the team gets created. It's really cool to see. I think about also in terms of actually both, um, uh, there's a set of Russian um, novels and then films called Nightwatch is the first one. And they are, they are kind of, yeah, <laughs> lots of nods over there. This is the work, of course. Um, but in the film versions, um, the, it's, you know, like uh, supernatural, you know, vampires and things like that. Um, and the captions were all animated according to the magical powers of each character. So the vampires had like red captions that would dissolve into clouds of blood. And there was like a techno wizard who like their captions typed out in a green font and it was very cool. You mentioned that the transcripts sometimes have snarky little comments in them. And I was wondering, uh, do you have a favorite hidden Easter egg? Um, I can't say a thing on my head because it's, it's going to just buzz around until I say it loud. So we do these things um, called annotated scripts um, for, the, um, for the Patreons. And um, what's great is that you know the writers, we all go and annotate and I, I don't know, like share, oh, this funny thing happened or like, oh, this line was this is actually the name of my third grade teacher or whatever. And the sound designer's going as well. And um, yeah, um, remember Alexander Janner explained how he does, he went through how he designed like a manhole cover. <laughs> and it was so complicated and there were so many steps and it took, it was, it was so fascinating to kind of see that. I just, I don't know, I, I like, oh man. Like sound designer explaining how they made a sound. Yes. Like, please, can that just be on repeat for like? <laughs> I just that is just like the best. Yeah, the it's worth saying the, the annotated scripts are are different from the transcripts. They are they are not in the same way an accessibility feature. But I actually want to make a case for them being one, and I would love for anyone to talk more about those annotations because they are a delight. Um, because I do think they make visible the work. And the 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 care that goes into the episodes, and so I think they can both be an aid for creators who are wanting to like learn how to do things. Like they're not necessarily a how-to, but you, you can get an insight into the artist's work. 
Um, and I think that like they they create a deepening in the kind of your relationship with the, the piece of art and understanding why did this come together this way? Why was this choice made? Oh, I felt this way strongly about this. Why, why did the artist do it? Um, my favorite annotation is in season two, there's, we, we find out a mayor has banned death rays. And I don't know why it happened, but so we do all of these annotations in Google Docs and write out the comments as, as Google Doc comments and then export them to PDF so the comments are preserved. And just half the cast responded, death ray, death ray. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it became like it was just suddenly this weird inside joke that we all I love when like little accessibility features become moments of community. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I feel like I was a broken record on with the, the, the panels, but um, I, I will say it again and again and again. So that was a particularly delightful part of the conversation for me because I love when forms of media tied to access get the same room to play as the rest of fiction media forms. And even in nonfiction, I think this room for playfulness still stands, you know, where appropriate. Um, and our transcripts have little delightful moments in them, especially since Teddy has taken over. So Teddy, could you speak on adding moments of playfulness in your transcribing? Unwell mentioned how the transcript is a work of art, and I surely agree with this. Transcription is conveying this complex human interaction and like any other work of art, it's telling a story that's meant to evoke more than just understanding. It can make someone smile, laugh, or like furrow their eyebrows, or stand up because they're moved by what was said. And it's a joy to write something funny in the transcript, even if I know people at most will go, oh, that's an interesting choice of words. But maybe they'd smile or laugh, or maybe it'd give them a new way to look or feel something, given the context of what others have said. Yeah, it's also fun from a standpoint of like reviewing it um, at the end before we're posting. I, I'm always super excited to see what you write for uh, sound notes, like the uh, crispy page turns of the supplement and the fact that they get crispier <laughs> as time goes on um, was was a really fun thing. Um, and. Teddy had the fantastic idea of annotating the transcripts for this episode to kind of in honor of the Unwell team. So I'm very excited to see what, what happens as our team gets gets their hands on, on the transcripts. Me too. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Well, and I, I think that playful attitude also shows up in the image descriptions. Um, yes. And not only because, as, as Lynn, you love to point out, like, oh, it's always just me in various like positions of hands talking to <laughs> the person online um, and and finding a way to like know, capture the emotion of that moment, right? In the room and bring it to the audience. You might just be like, oh, look, they're still talking. Um, but, you, but you really get to describe, I'm, I'm excited about seeing how, um, you know, like uh, one of our recent episodes, uh, Dr. Kelsey Cameron's cat was in a picture. So like the first time we got to do an image description of a cat, um, I don't know. I, I enjoy that part a lot. Yeah, I like that we we kind of step out of the kind of pay, uh, image by image description to also take a moment to be like, here are the characters in studio today. And the studio is its own character. It almost feels like a script with character descriptions and then image by image we have um, blocking of where those characters are and how they're expressing and moving. And it's just a really fun format to, I think, help make images feel um, less repetitive because we're not saying what everyone looks like each image when it's just the poses and kind of the staging that is changing. Um, like for, for these image descriptions, we have Dorfies. Um, so uh, Queer Horror Week, um, the Unwell team has a prop door that they use to make all of their door sounds. And they also recorded the door sound for our episode. And it was wonderful. It's so crisp. 
Um, <laughs> but we we took pictures um, of all the panelists with their heads popping through the door um, as in tradition with Unwell's events, uh, and they are referred to as Dorfies. So the door will be getting its own description. The door is absolutely a character. Um, so check out those images. They're, they're top tier. They're, they're excellent. Kind of moving us into our next section after playfulness, we get a little bit um, more serious because we talk about content warnings specifically in the context of the horror genre, which was a really fascinating conversation because, you know, horror is supposed to scare you. So how do you how do you balance warnings of what's to come to make sure that you're not harming your audience more than like the the scare that they are looking for in the genre? Um, and we've talked about content warnings before, but just kind of as a brief reminder, they're a notice to the audience at the beginning of a piece of media um, that they will be exposed to potentially sensitive material. Um, and it's not censorship, but rather a way to give individuals a choice of when and how they want to interact with the work. I think there's something really interesting there thinking about um, horror fiction um, in in kind of in balance with um, the you want to scare your audience, but you don't want to traumatize your audience. And um, part of the part of the issue there is that a thing that will be very, um, doable for one person might be traumatizing for another person or might be doable on one day and not on another. And so I think it is less about um, restricting or saying, you know, these are things that you can't have in your horror audio fiction. Um, be, but but um, being uh, you know, through content warnings, through branding, through design, you know, saying these are the kinds of things that you are going to experience when you listen to this show. Um, and, you know, if, if we, we try to make it clear that there will be lots of open discussion about dementia, about Alzheimer's, about, um, uh, about difficult relationships with parents um, in this show. And we make that clear from the very beginning um, so that an, an audience member can decide, yes, that is a thing I want to engage in. Um, I think that like, it, for, you know, if, if we were going to make a, uh, you know, serial killer slasher podcast, um, not hiding that and like springing it on an audience member a third of the way in um, would actually be pretty important because I think, I think you do, you want your audience to be bought in. Does that mean you can't surprise your audience? No, I think, you know, both jump scares and surprising twists are really important and can be a really important part of the experience. But um, I think they should be surprises, not tricks, maybe is the distinction. I feel like one of the things as I've talked with you folks is that like, um, uh, I it, on, on, on the next show, uh, I think it's something that I'm going to do slightly differently. Right now, I, I write all the content warnings um, and I try to have a holistic approach to like not just things that like would bother me, but things, a broad swath of things that I could imagine um, being something that you'd like to know about. Um, and then I work to make them um, not, I, I work to make them specific to the activity, but not how, when, to whom it happens, so that 
they can there can still be surprises. You can go in forewarned that there will be dogs or threatening situations or or um, physical violence. And so you can know, okay, I I I want to listen to this at this point, or I don't want to listen to this at this point. Um, but still still encounter the content. We just had a, a pretty a recent episode of Unwell um, drop that was um, a little more intense. And there, and um, Jeffrey's been, there have been, um, Jeffrey's been careful to, or his whoever's doing this, um, to have a little disclaimer, like, oh, this episode of Unwell um, is a little more intense than normal. Um, these, this is where the content warnings are. Um, and having the content warnings, but not, yeah, it's a tricky balance, right, between spoiling something, but also just making sure that you know what you're getting into, and and that you're, we would never, we would never want the art to harm. I think having, you know, the, the time and budget for an outside set of eyes that says, like, hey, like, um, you, like, this episode, you didn't notice, but uh, there are references to, you know, um, I don't know, an, a, an animal being killed. And clearly that, like, that's that's a thing that I would notice and that, like, often, like, shuts me off from media. Like, I'm like, I, you know, actually, that's, that's a thing that I'm just not going to watch or not going to read. Um, but I have blind spots. I, I, I don't, and I don't know what they are. And so I think a, a big thing that sensitivity readers can do is point to your blind spots. And um, you know, that's, a, that's a really important ethos that we try to live up to in heart life. We've talked off and on through the weekend about kind of our, our art making values. And a thing that is really important to me and, and that I have always tried to push and tried to support is that no one ever be worried in the process, the art making process of speaking up and say, hey, like, I don't think, I don't think you were trying to do something harmful here, but you did. And um, uh, it's, it's really important for people to feel empowered and not feel like if they say that, once or too many times, they're going to be not hired back. Um, and I guess I am proud to say that it's happened to me during the art making process, and it's happened to other people on the team during the art making process. They like people have come to me and said, "Hey, like, I I don't think you're a bad person, but like, you you included this thing, and I think you really need to reconsider that." And I said, "Gosh, yeah, like." I didn't consider from that perspective and and I do need to redo that or I do need to go about these things in this other way and I think um that is a gift as yeah. a creator for somebody to come forward and say this is doing harm change it like that there's a, an element of trust uh on their part of like I believe that if I say this to you you might prioritize this um like it's it's so valuable um to to get those kind of notes well and, and when we were starting the process and this was starting we were a year a year and a half into the process when we cast the show um we very much went to like we we, we did auditions in the way you would do for any play or anything like that but we also sat everyone down and said listen if you sign on to the show you're going to be working with us for the next like five, six years. And so we want you to know us and we want to know you. And we want to like figure out, are we people who like we can trust in those ways and that we feel like hold similar values and will, will, um, you know, be people that we want to spend this much time around and, and devote this time together. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of, you know, every person on the Unwell team because, you know, yeah, we have been very careful about who we bring into our process and how they work together and the, 
the kindness that they show to other people in the making of the work and the support they give. I also want to jump in because uh, this wasn't explicitly stated, but um, if I remember correctly, but um, one of the other shout outs I want to give y'all is just um, in addition to content warnings for your audiences and these conversations with the actors as you've hired them for this uh, long term relationship, but also talking to, uh, to actors about things that ha are happening with their characters, if they might be uh, triggering or uh, upsetting to them in a way that I think is really sensitive. And uh, I think because this would, has been such a long-term relationship and story, people get really emotionally invested in, in the work that they're doing, the story they're telling. And so that is a really valuable thing to know as an extension of the trust that you have with your collaborators. Everything they're saying is so important. And I, for our podcast, I think we really saw that in the episode where we were contending with the question of body cameras, right? Um, and police violence and um, and the potential triggering or re-traumatizing uh, effect that that content can have on listeners. And so we wanted to make sure that we had um, our own type of uh, alert to listeners about upcoming content, which which was different for us, um, right? That's not something we talk about every week. Lynn, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about what writing that kind of opening statement was like. Sure. So I think it was really important going in to A, make clear that our topical focus was on body cams as design, but B, that an analysis of body cams as design can never be like depoliticized, values neutral, or fully removed from the systems that they are entangled in. So a conversation about footage, policy, even storage systems is going to involve discussion around things like police violence and systemic racism, because those things permeate the existence of police body cams. And we needed to make clear that we weren't going to talk around that nor would it even be possible to. And so I think trying to make that distinction in a respectful way felt important. And beyond kind of a pure content warning, it also felt really necessary to include a temporal locator because we recorded the episode prior to the trials around the murder of Tyree Nichols, but were in post-production as that had really just happened and was at the forefront of everyone's minds. So again, trying to acknowledge focus versus acknowledging what had happened since then um, in a respectful way was something that we spent a lot of time discussing on how to do carefully. Mm -hmm. But it's time well spent, right? Absolutely. That's, yes. No. That's the point. I really appreciate a content warning being optional because I have some content that I can't interact with and having the option to just go check if whatever medium consuming suits me is ideal. It makes it more equitable in the sense where no one's forced to miss out on a surprise or suspense because they need to avoid whatever they need to avoid. It's intentional and it's caring and I'd probably be able to engage with more content on the internet if I didn't feel like I was taking a chance every time I see another video with unclear content on social media. I wish that more people did it, and I'm really glad that we did it in our last episode. Yeah, we also, I think, tried with that episode to check in with our team a lot about like how um, engaging with the material, whether from the sound design standpoint, whether from the digging through resource library, transcribing, um, running fact checks. That was one where it was like, please let us know yeah. Um, if you need to step away, you can. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that that type of like team care attentiveness, um, I really appreciated in the the conversation with Unwell when they were talking about uh, the way that yes, they're doing a speculative right gothic horror podcast, but they can and do acknowledge as all good speculative fiction does, says the science fiction studies person, uh, what is happening in our contemporary moment. And they really, in particular, brought um, you know our, our re real life existence to the forefront when they did a blackout episode. Um, so I don't know. And I, and I think we, 
we have a clip coming up where they they talk more explicitly about the decisions behind that. Yes. Um, And we also get a little bit into land acknowledgments as another form of kind of nonfiction acknowledgement. Um, So for listeners, a brief definition, according to the Native Governance Center, land acknowledgments are, quote, the practice of recognizing the indigenous past, present, and future of a particular location. And we'll have some resources in our resource library um, that will offer some best practices for land acknowledgments. But as you'll hear in the upcoming conversation, they are a starting point um, as an inclusive practice and not a... Uh, we did it, we're done sort of thing. Um, And also we use the land acknowledgement from the University of Pittsburgh specifically since that is where our team records. Uh, One of the only times when there are content warnings up front, even in like the written description, and that's the blackout episode, which is of course both and not, right, an episode of Unwell. And so I, I wanted to just ask a little bit about why you decided to do a blackout episode, how you decided to do a blackout episode, and like focus a little bit on that moment because it, it does stand out, right? And I, I think it seemed intentionally designed to stand out um, as a statement. Yeah, um, that was, that was um, a, uh, a thing that was um, done by a number of podcasts, both fiction and nonfiction. Um, and it was, uh, uh, I don't have the text of the exact description in front of me, but it was, it was a reading of the names of um, victims of police violence, specifically um, minoritized people. Um, I think it was both black and indigenous. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but um, yeah, that was because that was not, that was not, art we were making right that was a um a thing that we did as a kind of piece of our social stewardship and and mm-hmm. as as human beings mm-hmm. um and um uh the it, yeah the decision to do that was not one i made mm-hmm. um that was a thing that uh we did do um, I don't want to say democratically. We didn't vote whether we were going to do that. That sounds weird, but um, I put the call out to the team, to the actors, to the cast, to um, the designers, the writers, and said, um, this is a thing that is happening. Um, would you want to do this? And a lot of our people said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was an, uh, it, entirely an opt-in choice um, and something that was like not the corporation saying this, this was, it was a, a thing that we made as, as the individual human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 No, I mean, um, so the podcast you're on now, uh, Welcome by Design, right? Accessibility is one of our main topics, but inclusion and inclusive design is another one, which is why I was like, this seems very much like pointing out how artistic modes of expression can also be done in non-fictional, very pointed statement ways. Um, speaking of acknowledging. Yeah, so um, in, in addition to addressing revisionist history fictionally, there are also like... IRL land acknowledgement statements uh, that are at the end of episodes. So I was wondering if you could talk about the decision to include them as where as well as like where you place them in terms of episode timing. Sure. Um, uh, we originally decided to include them because it um, in, in taking um, it, it felt like a thing that should be standard practice. We do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so we kind of said like, yeah, like let's do this. And we, um, you know, we have the resources to work with um, a, a group um, and find a link on our website uh, who are able to advise us and like talk through like, okay, this is what it should be. This is, 
Um, and, um, and so, yeah, it, it felt very much like a thing that we wanted to see everyone doing. Um, uh, as to where it falls, um, so we, we place it at the beginning of every season. So it becomes before the episode in the first episode of each season and then comes at the end um, for all the other episodes. There are a number of reasons for that. Um, one is that we just kind of, we try to rotate through a couple of different, like we call them housekeeping slots. Mm -hmm. Like here's where our website is, here's where you can buy merch, uh, things like that. Um, and we felt like um, having, t if you put too many things in the front, people start skipping it. And I'm not, you know, like, maybe some people already are. Like, we also have ads at the front and things like that. So, um, yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of was about both, like, allocating that, that short amount of time, but also making sure it always, like, was there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like right at the end of the episode um, for the credits also is like a prime engagement spot um, because it's almost like you're still waiting for is there more part of the episode especially if there's that fade out so it's for me at least I'm definitely still very engaged I don't know if the statistics disagree with I'm that very, I'm very glad to hear that um, unfortunately the statistics uh, it is that's that's the slot that you can't basically can't sell an ad in because people generally just like hit skip as soon as credits start. Um, but oh, good job, Lynn. You're engaged. That's that is part of why we occasionally throw a little post credit well, scenes in, yeah. so we give people reasons to listen to the credits and the music and all that other stuff. Yeah, as a Marvel fan, I, yeah. I, I, I'm like listening to the end because I'm like, what if? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I think, again, in the like question of um, uh, being like acknowledging, you know, where we've done well and where we're still trying to do better, um, I think land acknowledgements should always be a start. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Um, and I think it's worth, it's worth like explicitly saying while we're talking about them that like, yeah, that's, that's the beginning of advocacy, um, as, as a non, as you know, I, you can't see me, um, <laughs> I am white, um, I, uh, and, um, and so for, speaking from my perspective, like that, doing that thing, um, has to be. A beginning mm -hmm. of that work, not mm -hmm. checklist. We're all done. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I, I, yeah, I just think it's 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 no, that's, like, that's so vital. Again, it's a, it's a practice, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a it's a fairly easy first step too. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and again, like anything else, there's a range of ways meeting with people, making sure that it is crafted with care and attentiveness and insight, but also it's basic. It's yes. so basic, mm -hmm. um, and you can do more. The conversation of land acknowledgments also had kind of a fictional component in which they addressed revisionist history. So I would, this kind of segues neatly into me saying, listeners, you should totally listen to part two in which we talk about Unwell's fictional components of their inclusive practices. And it's this wonderful conversation about speculating and imagining futures um, that are more inclusive than the world we live in now. And it was just a really lovely, there was like a solid chunk from our post-panel interview where I was like, we have to do two parts because I can't cut any of this. Like, I, I just loved the conversation. Um, so be sure to check that out. Thank you for joining us for part one of this special episode. We hold that citation and acknowledgement are inclusive acts, so we want to give credit. This episode was produced by Dr. Jessica Fitzpatrick and me, Lynn Priestley. Sound design is by Ashton McCool. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Other resources, like the readings recommended by today's guests, 
can be found in our podcast resource library, which is managed by producer Emily Kuntz. The link to that library will be in the episode's description, along with a link to the transcript of this episode done by our transcriber Shivangi Teddy Thavari. For more conversation with the team of Unwell, this time about their inclusive fiction-based practices, be sure to check out part two of our spooky Queer Horror Week special. We record at the University of Pittsburgh, which occupies the ancestral land of the Adena culture, Hopewell culture, and Monongahela peoples, who were later joined by refugees of other tribes, including the Delaware, Shawnee, and Haudenosaunee, driven here from their homelands by colonizers. We honor these traditional native inhabitants of this place and uplift their historic, unique, and enduring relationship with this land, which is their ancestral territory. We pay our respects to their elders and their past, present, and future people, community, and culture. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or comments about the accessibility of this podcast, please don't hesitate to email us at welcomedbydesign at gmail.com. With that, this has been part one of our sixth episode of Welcomed by Design. A big thank you to the team of Unwell for taking the time to record with us and for the folks behind Queer Horror Week at Pitt for inviting Welcomed by Design to join in on the fun. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us for our next episode. Let's get together soon. I thought of something else kind of well, we, ha- we do have we do have a part one and part two. So, um, what was your other idea? <laughs> My other idea was okay. What if there was a scenario where we were trapped on like a a rowboat, but we each only got to bring like one item? Like what item? Like what I bring on that rowboat? It's it's different than being trapped on an island <laughs> because. <laughs> Because if you're on a rowboat, I feel like you'd need a little bit more something with you. And I, I just feel like it's a bit more uncomfortable. So I thought. you. I just want to say this again. I said this with your your proposal for our other post credit scene. But uh, you have a beautiful mind. <laughs> um, okay, so what would you, what would you bring on your rowboat? <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) this is actually really easy for me, not just because I thought of the question, but because, you know, there's a clear answer. And, you know, those like, those like kind of thicker plastic cups you get from like, people who are trying to sell you something. Like you go to like, people and they're like, they have a table. And they're like, hey, uh, why don't you purchase our phone service or internet service? You want a free cup? Wait, this is this is the only thing you would bring if you were stuck in a rowboat. There's something kind of like comforting about those cups. Like you get one and then you have it um honestly forever. Like how do you get rid of one of those cups? I'm and the branding just comes off. So now you have like a a really a comfortable clean, cup. Clean, yeah. no corporate, no capitalist cup. Um it was free. That's that is certainly a choice. And what if there's like water in the rowboat? I got a cup. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I would bring. Maybe a a flare gun. Um, Because if I'm stuck in a rowboat, I would like ideally like to get out of the rowboat. (laughs) But I, I didn't say there were no oars. Like maybe we could row somewhere. Oh, okay. Then I would bring food. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay but you gotta be really careful about what food you bring that's fair i think i'd bring a life straw so that i could filter the water and then we could put it in my cup <laughs> <laughs> okay okay this <laughs> i hope ashton is getting some enjoyment out of this as well <laughs> or Maybe he's going... ashton could insert his own clip yeah, would, Ashton, do you want to record what you would bring, please? <laughs> Round out the team a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we got a life straw, a cup, and then Ashton is bringing. Oh, God, I don't know. Um, I'll say a motor. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Well, hello there. 
Dr. Charlie Tuckett here. You know, rumor was, Spaceship Oz-9 was intended to take a bunch of rich folks to a new planet since, uh, you know, we pretty much uh, used up the one we have now. But, you know, since it's uh, looking more and more likely the ship might uh, be humanity's last stand, let's take a quick look around. Are you telling me the four sacred tokens are all aboard the Oz-9? Remind me again why we're doing this? Allegiances are too muddled on this ship. MCCACEC is a normal institution of higher learning. Ah, but if you pull back the outermost layers... I'm from Minnesota, where we like our lives as neat and as open as the inside of a freshly caught and cleaned walleye. Do you know, I am now the only assassin aboard the ship. What are you doing, Elaine? I want to know what side he's on when the ship hits the fan. Are they the most ridiculous people I've ever met? Uh, fetch that annoying bunch of trespassers so we can bring Pluto to heal. The new order starts today. Well, however this all plays out, if you have a strong stomach and a high tolerance for stupid, you can follow the Oz9's adventures just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. I got a trot, space monkeys. Stay safe out there.